Gaming MBS episode 111. What is heroic? Welcome to Gaming NBS, tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Good to have you here. Yeah. Welcome to the show. And we got a special guest on tonight. Alex Kammer from Game Hole Con. Hello. What's happening, boys? Oh, usual. <laughs> cool. Yeah, just uh, winding down the weekend. And it's a good way to do so. Kicking it with you guys. Sweet. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We know you couldn't possibly have anything else to do. Because <laughs> Game Hole yes. Con is like, what, Game Hole is in, what, two weeks? It is, uh, no, it's actually T-minus. It's uh, about 10 days now. Not that you're counting, but okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people start flying in soon. I mean, it's nuts, man. We got, uh, yeah, it's, <clears throat> it's going to be, yeah. So, yeah, I'm busy, but it's cool. Um, love hanging out with you guys, and uh uh, and Sunday night, I'm not going to be doing anything else anymore other than watching a football game. I probably don't care about. There you go. <laughs> uh, by the time this drops, it'll be like one week. No. Yeah. See, Tuesday. you know, the show keeps, uh, despite the fact that we haven't gone to a fourth day, people just have created a fourth day. <laughs> so Thursday. Thursday is a totally busy con day and we have sort of unplanned of non-official events going on, you know, um, uh, like, for example, talking about getting you guys a chance to uh, interview Ed Greenwood. You know, there's lots of that sort of stuff going on on Thursday. Yeah. Uh, and people are flying in on Tuesday and Wednesday of that week. Our guests uh, start flying in. Sean and I encountered that some of that last year even, where we, we showed up Thursday to set up our little table you let us have. We were in the process of doing that, helped a few other things. And next thing I know, more people are coming in like, hey, I've got a game started. Let's go over here. Hey, there's an open room. And there's like. We're going to get together next year. We'll come to the con early and we'll play this, you know, whatever battle. I mean, holy crap. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's pretty nuts. It's pretty nuts. And so we, what we did is to, uh, we just reserved a conference room space at all the hotels early so people can open game to their heart's content before the actual official opening on Friday morning. So anyway, that's, that's very cool. Yes. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're in the middle of it. <laughs> very cool. Sean, anything else you want to do for announcement's sake? I know I'm good. I don't have any more announcements. I think we've got a couple long random encounters, so we might as well um, punch through it and uh, get to the topic at hand. Sounds good, eh? You want to start, or you want me to start? What? I want you to do oh. the. I want you to do the bumper, you jackass. I'm I'm new here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, random encounter. That was the intro that I've played. I don't know how many episodes, and I just completely spaced it. 111 episodes to be it's exact. My age. My wife will blame my age. That's the next episode. <laughs> oh, that's right. Off. It is the next episode. <laughs> I'll start the first one off because it's really short and I'll give you Christopher Gray's. Thanks. All right. So, random encounter, usual. We get some feedback from our listeners, which is always a lot of fun. We get some good topic ideas and other good bits here. So, a while back, we talked about side quests and kind of their place in how we use them, way different people could do it. That concept of, like Alex, are you have you been through the Ravenloft? Have you read yeah, Ravenloft? I, I have. Uh, I've skimmed it. Uh, we're playing Storm King's Thunder right now, and that is essentially an entire side quest. Oh, okay. Wow. I mean, 
it is a complete sandbox. It, it, there is a linear story, of course, that is supposed to pull you through, but you could, there, there's a, I was, I was actually fooling around with Chris Perkins on the subject on Storm King Thunder. And I said, dude, you know, the, 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 where the story is supposed to take you from sixth to seventh level, that's an entire campaign. I mean, it's just, you could run, you could run for months based on that stuff. You know, that's so, awesome. uh, yeah, anyway. No, cool. So, yeah. So that's what kind of what Sean and I were, were talking through. And Spencer Clark commented over on our G plus side. He said, just finished the side quest episode. Isn't directly related, but it made me think of it along the theme of player choice in main pots. One thing I like to do when real lifetime is important or I want to advance the plot, <clears throat> but not feel like I'm railroading is to provide only the illusion of choice. I think this is a Sean Kelly special here. <laughs> um, <sounds> like <laughs> a really basic example of this is if you want the players to go from room A to room B, it doesn't matter which hallway they take. The first one leads to room B. That's oh, the that's uh, dirty. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the quantum ogre. It's been called that online. You know, where sure. regardless of what happens, you're gonna you're gonna meet the ogre. You're gonna go to the thing. I've done that before with side quests, especially when the players. Um, when they're kind of going a little crazy. I mean, you used to have to do this a lot in high school when they wouldn't pay attention. They'd just be totally fucking around and just doing whatever it is. At some point, I'm like, you know what? Goddamn, there's a dragon there. I'm going to make you all end up at the thing and kind of curtail it and do that on purpose. I know some DMs or people, or I should say gamers hate that, but I think it's, I think it's a useful tool. You don't have to use it all the time, but it's there. Sean, what do you think? Yeah, I've heard that tactic done before. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I guess it's okay. I mean, I do it all the time, but I don't know if it's good for everybody else. <laughs> I get yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it depends. That, that I think that all comes back to really what the the DM's interest or tolerance for ad lib ad lib gaming really is. Um, you know, we had a session a couple of weeks ago in the game hole where uh, these the guys wanted to go check out a hotel. All I had was the owner of the hotel's name. Um, that's all in the in the uh, in the materials in, in Storm King Slender. We spent four hours at this hotel screaming <laughs> out, um, but it was really fun yeah. because they decided you know there's there's a it's a mixed alignment party and someone decided they want to steal some shit and you know so it just was it became I'm in venting rooms as we go because it's it, the pacing was good it was easy enough for me to do that um, and I just felt like it I was willing to roll with it instead of saying nah this hotel's closed sorry boys on we go you know you could so you know. <laughs> Whatever you feel like, I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. Fair enough. Sean, next one from Christopher Gray. I'll I'll give you that one, and I'll take the mongrels. How come you don't want me to do the mongrels? <laughs> because there's reasons. A pure mongrel. <laughs> You're really he's, an Australian he's from, accent. He's from Australia, <laughs> which offends every Australian listener. We have both of them. I think we have two of them. Anyway, go on. Christopher Gray emails us. Hey guys. I wrote you a while back about mass combat and I was thrilled when you plugged my DM's guild adventure. I've had good success with it and chapter two should be up at some point this week, which I think he wrote probably last week, the week ending. Well, point being it's, it's going to be up in DM's guild really, really freaking soon. So keep your eyes open for it. Yeah. He didn't, again, he didn't tell us what the title was or the link. We'll find it. We'll find it. Pimp your stuff, man. We will put it out there. Christopher. Isn't there a link at the bottom here? It is actually. So there is a link. It'll we'll be in the it, show notes. It is in the show notes. I don't know if that's to his new product, but nonetheless. Keep going. I wrote, okay. I, but I digress. Well, so do we. In answer to your question about how we handle organizations in our games, I've been with a politics heavy group for about a year on my weekly Roll 20 game. The only way I'm able to play, yay, Roll 20. 
That's good. Uh, because there were so many factions involved in the storyline, I created a mechanic to handle handle it all. Essentially, the way it works is that when you complete an encounter that impacts a faction, you take a number of faction points equal to the experience points of the encounter. Okay. Got that, Brett? Got it. Running the math in my head right now. Lots of math going on. <laughs> Which is not my strong suit. Carry on. There's no letters in this yet, though. Good. In the math yet. I guess it could be, because there's kind of an X. Yeah. All right. If the relevant factions like what you did, you gain factions standing with them. If they don't like what you did, you lose faction standing with them using these points. In some cases, one encounter may cause standing to go up with certain factions, but down with others. And like experience, you can go up faction levels with groups and get perks, discounts, etc. But unlike experience, you can also lose faction levels with groups and they mark things up or, in bad cases, are outright hostile. These mechanics have added an interesting level to the game because presumably players can play entirely politically and work the faction standing and not deal with experience points at all. Hmm. I publish these mechanics as a pay-what-you-want listing on the DM's Guild. If you want them, enjoy. Oh, that's what the link in the show notes here is for. It's for his factions component. Cool. P.S. I'm not looking for another plug. <laughs> I swear, it just seemed relevant. Very relevant. Well, I'll tell you, the um, one of the things that in uh, Trail of Cthulhu, the gumshoe system... Um, when Ken Height did uh, Bookhounds of London, you build yourself a bookstore in London, which is what the central, <clears throat> excuse me, central point all the bookhounds operate out of. And the book, and depending what you do, the uh, bookstore itself, kind of similar to the factions concept, it can go up or down. It can have really high points where it has more funding and more access to different tomes and so forth. Or it can or it can go down. I believe Vampire back in the day, the original White Wolf one used to have similar types of components for gaining favor within different vampiric courts within the city and so forth. I find the mechanics behind that stuff tend to be the micro game that unless it's really, really easy, I don't use it. I come up with my own either ad hoc way, or I'm like, you know what? Um, The story is more interesting because they're involved with the thieves guild. So it's all about the thieves guild and their war with the bards guild. Great. It's all about that. And I don't necessarily pay attention to the the mages or the clerics or anybody else outside of it because it's not relevant to the current story. I just, like I said, the some of those mechanics. I'll have to read his factions concept here uh, and get a little more uh, detail what he's talking about. But to me, some of that stuff can get a little. Um, it's math, right? And it's just more math for me to have to do tracking different components. So if it doesn't move quickly, I'll get lost in it and I'll just drop it. Oh. Alex, have you ever used anything like that? You know, I was just thinking about that. You know, he's the fact that he's putting on DMs Guild has got to be a reference to all the the uh, uh, current D and D factions in the in the North and the Forgotten Realms, and so that stuff is scattered throughout all their all the releases. Um, and I tend to uh, go somewhat political light because my players just don't really seem to get into it too much uh and the other guys who run you know we rotate dms in our group i don't play i don't run full time 
Uh, no one's really done that. I mean, once in a while, it's useful to have a you know a, a faction connection to, to deliver some piece of information or whatever, a side encounter. But uh, yeah. You know, I, there's there's so many other ways to to move the plot forward. I guess that I, I haven't found that uh, that using the using going too political has been a really useful thing for mm-hmm. us. But I I understand what dude's saying. It makes sense. Yeah, and I get I get what you're saying too, Alex. Because if it's not a thing that your group grooves on, then you're like, okay, I just yeah, we could <clears throat> excuse me play that angle, but I really don't care what the Zentrum are up to or the Harpers. It's really not a big deal. <laughs> if the Harpers come and ask me to go do a thing in the realms, I may very well go do that thing. Or if I'm up against, mm-hmm. you know the evil group of the Zinterim, great, I'll go fight them because I know that's what I'm supposed to be doing. But yeah, I get that. You know, for for Adventure League, you are essentially employees of these factions and they give you marching orders and you go do it. Um, that's, you know, that's for Adventure League. But in, in uh, you know, the normal D&D play, these, you know, at least our characters, we play our adventurers who've gotten together for whatever reasons and they want to, they're doing whatever they want to do. Uh, and, and maybe they're, the, maybe it's just the makeup of our, of our players there. They tend to be a lot of chaotic alignments anyway. And so uh, most of them aren't really inclined to be part of some bureaucracy. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> oh, Sean, by the way, I just oh, got go. uh, a plate of uh, hot cookies delivered to me from my daughter. So if you hear chewing, um, that is in fact chewing. Oh, awesome. So that happened. This is this is the unfortunate part of when we record um, distance from each other because now I really want cookies <laughs> and I have no cookies available. God damn it. Uh, Sean, anything from you on Mr. Gray's point there? Uh, no. No? No, I think, it, I mean, if it works and mecha- you want to mechanic, mechanic it, um, I think the method in which he proposes makes sense. I don't think it's overly complex. And I think it creates a particular economy around that, which is fine. Oh my God! Listen to that guy. <laughs> so great. gonna move his ass. <laughs> Jesus, delicious cookie on my lips. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so the next up, the pure mongrel, our uh, our brother from down in Australia. One of them. We got a couple other listeners down there. Um, <clears throat> mongrel comments about our evil campaigns, and as usual, that means he's got the old uh, soapbox. Hold up to his best vantage point. Fellow BSers, we have uncovered a real issue in regards to our gaming. None of us teams really knows what evil is within the context of an RPG. Note, I'm not stating what evil is with this post, merely giving jumping off points for discussion. For the purposes of this discussion, we will stick with the D&D style RPGs as I feel this genre is the muddiest regarding the topic, even with an alignment system. Okay, deep breath, he says. <clears throat> what classifies as being evil in D&D? And no, not the space filled out next to alignment. Well, it's not killing alone. Every person and their dog kills in a sword and sorcery setting. Technically, justification does not separate good killing from evil killing either. The justification that a slain was catech evil does not always denote a quote-unquote good kill. Excuse me. It does if the character dispatches an evil creature in defense of a child, but it does not when the character stumbles across the home of some evil creatures and had no previous knowledge of that, and the character just decides to enter their home and relieve them of their property and heads. So in your opinion, what is an evil kill? Another gray area is uh, ritual and forces association. When it seems straightforward that a necromancer is an evil-driven being, the truth is that many good clerics and magic users are considered evil by competing or different faith or school. In your opinion, what makes a truly evil faith, school, or belief? What about specific taboos that are or should be considered evil? Rape, torture, sacrifice, genocide, cannibalism? I would say most of those are bad. I would say a lot of that um, uh, goes on the evil side. <clears throat> anyway, 
Uh, that was my aside there. Anyhow, he continues with, I have heard many players depict their evil adventures and campaigns. They talk about breaking laws, stealing, manipulating, cheating, and even killing, but I don't believe I've heard anyone really describe an evil game. Bad, unlawful? Sure, but evil? Given that evil has not been clearly defined in the context of our games, could it be argued that none of the players have really played an evil campaign? Sure, there may have been selfish, power-driven, and even committed criminal acts, but without enacting the quote-unquote evil taboos, are they really playing an evil campaign or just a neutral lack of care for laws or anti-hero campaign? So what really is evil in D&D? Has anyone actually played a truly evil campaign? Hmm. Well, I can tell you that I, for one, have actually played any, honestly, God, truly evil campaign. A friend of mine decided, this is about 15 years ago, we're going to play evil characters. Everything should be like chaotic evil, um, lawful evil, neutral evil, all vile and horrible. So I made a cannibal. And uh, <clears throat> his his uh, statement of anybody was weak is meat. That was a thing he said when he was mad at somebody or something along those lines. If he felt they were weaker than him, he would kill them and eat them. Um and everyone else in the, in the group was equally vile. And what happened then is the uh, the forces of good um, came after us. We got our asses handed to us by a ton of paladins and clerics that came over our, our vile keep and slaughtered us all, which kind of is probably fitting. Um, was it a fun game? No, not really. It was kind of a lot of hand-waving because the vileness is not necessarily a fun place to wallow in. But uh, it's I've done it. Um, so I can say I've done that. Alex, have you ever done anything like that? Or what do you think about all this here? Is Alex muted? Oh, Alex, Alex might be muted. Did you mute him? Sean? I, I, I tried to unmute him. Did he mute himself? I don't know. No. Nope. You muted him. You yeah, bet. but I should unmute him. Do it. Now I'm muted. You can't do it, can you? I can't undo him. <clears throat> There, am I back? Yeah. Yes, you're back. Oh, All right. good grief. All right. I, yeah, I didn't do it. Huh. Anyway, yeah, uh, have I played an evil campaign? Um, we've tried. The problem is, uh, at least in D&D context, usually what people do is go chaotic evil. And if you're chaotic, I think the more interesting question is lawful versus chaotic campaigns. Can you have a truly chaotic campaign? Because if you're going to resist order and structure and... That means no cooperative play, no, 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 no mission that's ever going to make sense to you. It's going to be just impulse-driven stuff. Um, so, so we did. We tried that, and it just became a shank fest where everyone's just trying to kill each other. Yeah, that's and, anarchy, you know, anarchy that's, for fun and profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, so you know, I, 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 that's the reason I don't think it's really prevalent. Because for the reason that you said, it's really not. Uh, uh, it's not a really fun place to be. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, what do you think? I, I have to agree with Alex. I mean, the chaotic piece, I think, is the the component of it. If it's chaotic, forget about it. If it's lawful evil, maybe, sure. Yeah, there's a code somehow, whether whatever line it crosses or sides on. But Well, I have had that argument, right, where the players go in and then they've killed all the orcs that have been raiding the farms and they get down to that the, the pit in the Warrens where it's all these poor little orc babies. And some player goes, kill them. They're orcs. Got to kill them. They're got to kill them. And somebody in the group loses their mind and goes, no, they're babies. You can't just slaughter these children. They're just babies. Yeah, they're orcs. Uh, evil says so right here in the book type of thing. So <clears throat> I think that's part of that is a 
uh, I want to say a const- uh, social norm or something. I mean, that's, that's a horrible phrase. I don't know where I, how to define that, but there's something. I don't think D and D was ever designed initially that you would be out there trying to exterminate like ag- absolute genocide on the bad guys. You may oh, kill oh, them. I, and drive I them don't on. know. I don't know about that. I mean, you consider, okay. consider that the very. Let me think of my, my module history. The very first official TSR module releases were the Giant series. And true, in, true. In the setting of the Hill Giant Chief, if you recall, in the first floor, and it could be, if you move in the right way, probably encounter number three, the nursery. Oh, um, that's right. Oh, my God. You know? yeah. And so, and there they are. They're giant babies. And uh, that was, that is always, and I remember that so clearly for that very same question. You know, holy shit, they're a bunch of, babies they're large babies but they're babies and they're evil babies what do we do you know and uh so i think that's always been out there but that's always that's a tough one i we we we, i usually just take those out just because you know (laughs) to delve into deeper philosophical questions while we're trying to game you know (laughs) so but yeah sean what do you think does that make you do anything or think well i did mention neutral which i i tend to think that Nobody can play neutral. They don't. I don't think anybody can really play a good neutral. You're talking about like pure neutral, where yeah. everything is even and balanced. Yeah, because yeah. you, you could justify evil because there's so much good or whatever that is. No, I mean I do know that some. I know my groups, depending on what game we're playing, sometimes they really want that that moral quandary, that hard choice to be a thing. <clears throat> you know, because when they're when they're playing D and D, they're like, look, you know, we're gonna take these orc babies and we're going to deliver them to the elves and the elves are going to raise them and try to rehabilitate them or they're going to do something i mean i've, I've seen groups try to do that um so i think that's again to alex's point though earlier like if that's not a thing your group grooves on if that moral choice is not a thing you're into then don't stick one in there just because the module says it is or oh sorry i have to have a nursery if it's not a thing that your group enjoys dealing with that quandary, then you could just simply remove it. There's no need to have to have it in there. <laughs> if there's, if there's evil going to be an evil component, and we've certainly had this in a lot of our games, it's a, a you know, a several, uh, a handful of lawful evil players that form a Yunta and their whole deal is by any means necessary kind of thing, but at least they, you know, like, like mob foot soldiers or whatever, still follow orders and, and, work toward accomplishing a goal. Um, that can be really fun. Um, I think but, you, you touched on something when you said the chaotic piece, because I think a lot of times in D and D when we think evil, the ultimate of evil in D and D is chaotic evil. That's like the baddest of the bad motherfuckers. It's chaotic evil. And that's true because then that's, you know, that's absolute anarchy. That's just whatever I feel like, you know, do as thou wilt. And you just go in insane where if you were to play lawful evil group, yeah, by any means necessary, as you just outlined, could be possible you have a group and you have a thing that you're trying to accomplish you just by any means necessary that's that's uh alan hammock's knight of the black swords module is that you know you're a group of lawful evil characters uh and you know so it's yeah that's very doable and can be very fun but um i think it's interesting having we always have a couple lawful evil characters in our group of eight players so that's always fun to have those sort of what do we what do we do next kind of thing discussions uh, and uh, they're pretty varied as a result. Interesting. Okay. Cool. 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 Sean, shall we go on to the next one? Yeah. Sure. I think this one's even longer. Yours. All right. Uh, regarding traps, uh, this is a 
We did our last episode on traps. 110 of them. <laughs> 110 traps. Holy <laughs> shit, really? No. <laughs> episode well, you 110. The, you knew the job was dangerous when you signed up, so there you go. <laughs> Starting with Jim Fitzpatrick, warning, long-ass comment inbound. I'm sorry. Also explicit lyrics, no obligation to rate it on the air, which in those... Uh, which is pretty much saying, hey, I'm going to read this on the air. Off right. We go. He's qualified it to read it on the air. Exactly. This is the exchange I hate most in role-playing games. PC, check for traps. GM, you don't find anything. PC looks at GM through squinted eyes. GM, poker face. <laughs> fuck that exchange. And fuck having it in every single room in the dungeon. I think there are two legit reasons to use a trap on a player character in a role-playing game. One, to create atmosphere and put the players on edge. Two, to create an oh shit moment where the player is forced to think creatively to get through a difficult scenario. I almost never use mechanical traps in my games because they don't do either of these things. If I want to do something to the party that uses up the resources to put it in Dungeon World terms, I'll do it with combat. Instead of putting in a trap that causes disease... I'll make sure there's a monster in the combat that can cause disease. Combat is more interesting than stepping on a pressure plate and taking a poison spear in the shoulder. Uh, I mean, that this is his perspective. You know? oh, fair, fair. That's fair. It might turn into an oh shit moment if you don't have the right equipment or spells to deal with poison, but it's not an oh shit moment inherently. Mechanical traps are functionally equal to combat in that regard, and combat spares you the check, nope, squint, poker face cycle. You guys alluded to this in the episode itself, but to me, Indiana Jones gets towards toward the better kind of traps, like the rolling boulder trap. It's high stakes, but you can overcome it with quick thinking, and it certainly creates an oh-shit moment. If that trap happens in D&D, you have options. Run, number one, Run! This is where skill challenge mechanics are great. Two, create a cave-in. Three, block the quarter with a wall of force. Four, cast rope trick and scramble up to safety. Taking that back to Dungeon World, instead of using their resources, the boulder trap makes these two moves. One, give an opportunity that fits a class's abilities. Or two, show a downside to their class, race, or equipment. The boulder trap gives certain players the chance to say, I got this. And other players the chance to say, fuck, I'm never going to outrun this thing in plate mail. As long as you balance that spotlight slash low light dynamic in the long run, that's successful GMing. Here's an example of where I used a trap in Pathfinder game <laughs> that created the effect I wanted. So he paints the scene. Party and two agents of the big bad evil guy are at a table in a meeting set up by a neutral third-party NPC for a tense negotiation. The NPC has locked everyone's weapons in a cabinet in the room to help keep things civil. Ha 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 Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I've used that before. Let me give me all your weapons. Let's lock it up. All right. After a lot of yelling and attempts at intimidation by both sides, the bad guys ask to step outside for a moment for a private discussion. They don't come back for a bit, and the NPC goes to check on them. A minute later, the party hears the NPC scream and run out to find him in a pool of blood in the yard, and the bad guys are taking off into the woods. They decide to grab their weapons before giving chase. The rogue rushes up to the cabinet and successfully picks the lock, but never sees the poison needle on the lock itself. 
It nicks her and she fails the save. I give it some general description. You may immediately feel lightheaded and weak. Immediately, they spring into action. Explosion of discussion. What if that poison's bad? We can't leave her here. We can't take her with us. She's poisoned. She'll slow us down. Split up then. No, who knows what enforcements they may have in the woods. We can't just let them go. We have to follow them. The bad guys not got away. Uh, did get away. But they saved the rogue and the NPC. Forced high tension choice with immediate consequences. Oh, shit. I'm sorry I can't shut up. 700 words. I wrote shorter papers in college. <laughs> no problem. That was cool. Um, I think... What he says there is how he views traps is a perfectly legitimate approach, right? Like, look, if I'm going to use a trap, I only want it to do, you know, create atmosphere, put players on edge, or to create an oh shit moment. Um, there is a style of play that I think he may be, I think Jim might be oversimplifying it with the check for traps, you know, the poker face, stare down Texas Hold'em event when the when Alex tells me I find no traps and I'm glaring at him trying to see if he's going to give me a tell. I think there is from a atmosphere and so forth. If I am in a tomb, as you and I were talking about last episode, when we talked about this and, or I'm in an ancient dwarven hold and I'm creeping across and that ancient mechanical dwarven trap goes off, giving the dwarf an opportunity to say, Holy shit, that was made by, you know, Gimli the Deft, and he makes these amazing fucking traps. Oh, my God, we better be on our guards, because remember, we're in a dwarven stronghold that was battened down for the Great Orc invasion. That sets a, uh, a tone and everything else. It doesn't have to just be instant super tetanus as it did in, uh, you know, White Plume Mountain type of thing. Alex, do you do you like traps? Do you use them? Mm, I do. I do. Um, the, the problem is players are smart. <clears throat> and so, you know, you have to get, you have to get really sneaky, you know, and damnable, so now, damnable players. I know, I know they ruined my best laid plans, but now I have the, they, there's now they're starting to sniff this out. It's the trap within the trap. So you set up a real patsy trap, a uh, real easy one to find. Oh, we cleared the trap and now we go on forward and that's where the real whammy is. you. So that's, uh, but now they've had their wieners caught in that bus a couple times. Uh, they're getting wise to that play too. So I got to come up with something new. I should. I probably have to go listen to your episode and get some ideas for some clever traps. Or stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm running on empty. So does your um? Do, do you play? Do you equate traps to a D and D style game, or do you ever think of them another like a Call of Cthulhu or anything like that? Do you ever? Yeah, I think they're they're a, it's a such a element of D and D. So that's that's why. I mean, you have character classes that are designed to deal with them, as opposed to uh, you know any of the dystopian games or Call of Cthulhu or so on. I mean, then you're basically just getting lucky <laughs> to avoid a trap. Uh, and so then with that, with with the with the the dude who wrote in that very interesting uh, uh, treatise, uh, that would be more. I think in that kind of game using that style of trap, what he's talking about to set a mood or to create a no shit moment, that makes more sense because it's a more narrative game. Um, you know, D and D, if you're, if you're just as you, to your point, Brett, if you're grinding through a tomb, you know, it's would be weird, quite frankly, if you're playing a, a dungeon crawl piece of a D and D game and there's not at least a trap somewhere. I mean, it's, it's tropey. Sure. I get it, but it's D and D and it's, you know, that's a lot of tropes in D and D. True enough. Sean, what do you, what do you think about this? I thought it was excellent, but I like Alex's idea of about a trap within a trap. I hadn't thought about that. That's pretty fucking wicked. Yeah. <laughs> I have to do that. I wonder how deep you can go. <laughs> it's kind of it's <laughs> like a, the Inception version of traps. You're like, when within a dream, within a trap, within a trap dream. Fuck. Yeah, the Russian, the, the endlessly trapped Russian doll. 
Oh, that would be great. <laughs> somewhere there's somewhere there's this there's a thief at the base of this just old long white beard just picking the last trap. Inside is you know a a, uh, a treasure map that the game master never really bothered to flesh out because he would never get this far. That's <laughs> all he finds. <clears throat> all right, Matt Martinez uh, added in on traps. He said, "I'm not a big fan of traps myself." The exception I make is for environmental traps. For example, if the PCs are exploring an old ruin, I could justify having a weak spot, a weak spot in the floor or stairway that might collapse if they step on it. I have a harder time justifying a pressure plate that triggers poison darts shooting out of the wall. Oh, I like poison darts. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano said, hey, regarding the idea of villain trapping the heroes, and specifically the examples from Raiders of the Lost Ark, <clears throat> see Eberron setting uh, page 251. In case anyone doesn't know, Christian is like the resident internet expert of all things Eberron. So I think the only person who knows Eberron better than Christian is the man who made Eberron. Um, anyway, <clears throat> stories don't always end well. I love that aspect of the plot themes in Eberron. I don't see it as a trap. As I don't see it as a trap as simply an aspect of the world and the characters that live within it. Oh, it's not simply a trap. It's an aspect of the world and the characters live within it. It's also a good reminder uh, that while the PCs are heroes, they are not immune to bad luck and powerful NPCs. Now, I know we've, Sean and I have talked about this before. There are some folks that, <clears throat> see me, do not groove on that style of game at all, where there's, where bad luck can end the life of your 15th level paladin. They don't like that. And I get it. You know, some people really don't like that at all. And you've, we've, I think everybody has a story somewhere if you've gamed. Back in the 80s, at some point, that kid you went to high school with who flipped the table or threw the book across the room when their favorite character died or something. Maybe they're 40-year-old men or women who are still doing that now. I don't know. But um, there are some folks who don't like the idea that stories don't always end well or that sometimes you can have an ignoble ending to your great heroic, you know, you know, Thangar the Mighty, the greatest barbarian ever from the Iron Step wasteland, and there he just died because he drank poison like a dumbass. Some people don't like that. Sean, what do you think? Yeah, I guess. You guess. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> hey, man, adventuring is hard work. It's dangerous business. And if it, it totally and if it wasn't, everybody'd be doing it. Damn it! Which, triple well, I'm tri triple traps, man. Shit, I got traps going in my head right now. <laughs> I'm nesting that shit. Tra uh, treasure chest <laughs> trapped within a treasure chest trapped within a treasure chest. So before we go on to the actual topic, Alex, I got to ask you, do you subscribe to these stories don't always end well idea? If like, if you've got that character who's, you know, struggled and fought their 10th level and you see him in front of you and you go, Hey Josh, I'm sorry. You're dead. You failed that save. This happened. You took a crit. Well, you know, I think I'm pretty traditional in that when I run a game and I think all the guys that I play with run a game, the goal is to have the characters, the players be really challenged. Um, have it be tense uh, and and of course fun, and then prevail at the end. And you know, with uh, D and D specifically, we we seem to be talking about that the most. There's so many mechanics for bringing high level characters back. Anyway, I mean, there's really <laughs> no such thing as character death uh, if you want don't want it to be. I mean, you can, that's a very good point. I mean, so, if I drop you down to zero in five e, you've got what three chances. Yeah, and even once you're dead, you know, your resurrection and you know, true, you know and uh, things like that. Uh, you can, if you're high enough level, you're talking about the your you know, fifteenth, twentieth level character. You know, those those dudes have resources, presumably, to Good sort point. that out. Uh, so, uh, but you know, that said, hey, if, if characters make 
poor decisions and they and some bad roles. So I'm not, not going to save them from it either. And I, so I think that's pretty mainstream. I think you guys probably, I know you guys run the games, run your games that way too. So I tend to, um, yeah. I mean, I, I am, I do believe I try to do the champion of the players thing. I want them to have fun. As you said, I want to help and so forth. But every once in a while, you've got that player who insists that their character is going to do something just batshit crazy stupid. Like, all right, dude. Guess yep. what? She, Here we go. Guess what? She's dead. <laughs> really? Why? Because yep. I fucking warned you three times before you drank <laughs> the poison that would kill you. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then, you know, that's the, the, the that's, if there's one um, central complaint that I think older gamers have with, since we're talking about D&D with fifth edition, which I love, by the way, uh, is that it's not as deadly. Uh, yes, I've heard, I have heard that. There's still a lot of save or die situations. Uh, and that's it, man. You know, uh, you fail that save. Good night. Tear up that character and start over. Um, you know the new the newer systems are not quite that punishing. If Sean and I talked about that a while back. It's not impossible, but it is pretty hard. You can knock a you can knock some lady's character down, and she can be down and out for two three rounds. But there's a fair chance that they're still gonna be able to stand back up at the end of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, Sean. Shall we go on to the main topic? PWK. That's all I gotta say. Power word kill. That's <laughs> gonna be my. I There's, should. I should write a rap on that song. PWK. It's all I say. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You shouldn't do that. Let's just. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. That sounds like a great idea. I'll yeah. get Alex to help me. I'll get Alex to help me like, create like legal documentation to stop you from ever being able to do that. Whatever. No, I want to produce the album. Oh, you want to produce the album? Okay. Yeah, Alex is a fan of the uh, Sean Train man. All right, whatever it takes, then fine. Let's go. If we're going to go crazy, let's go all in. Let's just go. <laughs> oh, what are we talking about this week, Brett? I want to talk about heroic role playing, kind of leading into it there with some of our other um, bits of feedback there we had. Kind of what is it, just what the hell does it mean to be heroic anyway? Kind of it does lead a little bit. It got me thinking after we talked about evil campaigns, more people talked about it. Um, I'm like, you know, there was a there was a piece that John Wick had written a while back. Kind of a what ta- what is more heroic, charging into combat when you have um, 50 hit points, a 24 armor class, bunch of saving throws, more magical gear. Is that really heroic to charge in to fight the thing that you know you can't die in? Or leaping into a combat that you may well die from, you know, is which has, which has more intestinal fortitude, which one is ballsier, gutsier, tougher, you know, which one is, you know, big, you know, this is the thing that Diana warrior princess wonder woman would jump in going, you know what might not make it back. That seems more heroic than one more time. Superman goes and beats the shit out of somebody. It sounds very meta, Brett, a little bit. And I think that if the, my perspective is that from heroic role playing, it's kind of a meta thing where you have a concept of what you are expecting at the table, right? If I'm going to say, I'm going to play a heroic game. What the hell are you expecting out of a heroic game? Alex, you with me? Or you at least understand where I'm going? No, I hear you. I hear you. I think that, you know, considering your, your show topic tonight and, uh, what is heroic gaming, uh, especially role playing games? Uh, you know, gosh, most, uh, isn't aren't all D D games heroic games? I mean, you set off as ex- extraordinary people, apparently living in a society of uh, uh, among people who can't do the things that the player characters can do. You know, the, every adventure starts with the you know the the ineffable evil threatening the town or the dragon or something, and only you can 
step into the breach and save the meow meow meow. So, <laughs> you know, with that, everything is everything is a heroic premise. But yeah, but I think you're if I had to of the two uh positions that you that you put forth there, I think the more heroic one is all right, this is there's a, a lot of bad stuff coming uh our way. The party is really nicked up, but I as the paladin or the ranger who hates giants i'm going to step into the breach despite the fact that i'm probably going to be ground into paste um you know that's when i think of heroic play in a heroic game that's it for me anyway makes sense you know what it is for me what is it it's sitting at the same table as brett that's heroic play because i don't know what the hell may go down at the freaking table (laughs) that guy he's crazy and so i think heroic play is just surviving. Just survive. Getting at the game table as a player at Brad at the other end. That, All right. Because that's the name of the episode. It's besides Brett, what is heroic? <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, tell you, I did. I did a. I did a bit here just to make uh, Chris and Phil over at Misdirected Mark proud. So went to just dictionary.com just to kind of pull a concept for a definition around heroic itself. I wouldn't trust that site. <clears throat> just like wiki Wikipedia, which is like Wikipedia, but basically I want to pull a couple pieces out. It says it's like dealing with or describing deeds, attributes of heroes in literature, um, boldness, daring, extreme measures, uh, extraordinarily bold, altruistic, determined, um, extravagant behavior, <clears throat> that type of thing. Just kind of almost over the top, right? Something that's noble or daring. Well, does John Wick know that? Because he made it sound like you got to be down whittled to nothing to be heroic. Well, it doesn't fit in any of that crap. Not necessarily. I think the it's kind of that um, when you look at people who've um, so for United States folks, Congressional Medal of Honor. You look at the people like Audie Murphy and other people who have obtained the thing. I can't. There are other um, Congressional Medal winners. I just can't think of that any more offhand. But guys who get Purple Hearts, men and women who've been wounded in combat, doing amazing things, holding off the enemy, doing something. You know, like I'm going to hold this thing while you go save these guys. I think about my uh, my gra- my wife's grandfather, who, when he was parachuting in on Normandy, got hit in the head and knocked unconscious. And his buddy Paul drug him around for a day to make sure that he was alive, but he was unconscious. And the other guys were telling him, "No, you leave him. He's going to weigh you down." And everyone else, and he said, "No, I'm not going to let Jim die. He's my friend. No way in hell." So this is why my father-in-law's name is Paul because he let this guy live. It's a very small, tiny little thing that one man saved another man in a time of war. But that to me is a really heroic type of action. He didn't have to do that. A lot of horrible things were happening all around. He could have easily said, you know what? I'm not going to be involved in this thing and I'm going to make sure I survive. And I think to Alex's point that a lot of the role-playing games, um, at least a lot of the ones I'm reading, when they talk about Player characters are a cut above the rest. They have stats or attributes or something that sets them apart from other things. Dungeon Crawl Classic says it. Um, other ones do in different places. We're like, hey, your character is better than average. And either advertently or inadvertently telling you, or over, overtly, excuse me, overtly or covertly telling you, look, you're here to do heroic things, something big. Whether you do it big for the sake of evil or you do it big for the sake of good or or whatever, you're here because you're special to do something. And I think... Alex, you probably hit on it there. A lot of the games really are heroic in some way or another, right? I mean, we're doing big, grandiose things because other people around us can't or don't have the abilities to do it. That's the allure of the game. You know, when I was 12 and I saw the player's handbook at Value Village, 
and I saw those dudes crawling over the the idol and prying gems out. Uh, and I picked it up and flipped through it and saw uh, knights fighting monsters. I said, "Holy shit, that's what I want to do. I want to play that game." Uh, that's the that's the threshold hook. So when you say what's heroic in D and D, boy, that's uh, <laughs> you gotta. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're talking about the your real world example kind of things of uh of uh you know exceptional play I guess or whatever however you want to put it to mm-hmm. to qualify as heroic I don't know they they all they're all we're all supposed to be heroic unless you're again getting back to the evil party <laughs> exactly in Brett, Sean what are you, th- the, the you next, thinking the next time Brett runs a D and D game I'm going to play a non heroic D and D game so I will <laughs> I will play baker plow person plowman uh, maybe <laughs> maybe farmer maybe. Potato salesman. Uh, and, you nice. Know, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, have the adventure come to me, I guess. Right? Because, yeah. hey, I, screw that shit, man. Life's dangerous. I, I got a job. Well, I can, I can, I've done that before. If you want to sit back <laughs> in your bakery, I can, ghouls in the bakery. There we go. I've done that. Well, that's nice. Instead, instead of the in scene to start, you're at the coffee shop. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta finish these emails, guys. So just no, just tick, tick, No, no, dude, no, double espresso. I'm busy, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, hey, I, the heroics, hey, leave that to those other guys that level up and get experience points and gold and all that crap, man. I got, I got shoes to hammer. So I think Alex actually, one of the pieces you said there is that it's kind of, we're here to do that. We want to do that type of thing, but I think it's really, it's not really going to be a heroic game if we're not given the opportunity to, to be heroic, right? It's not just heroic by sure. dint of the fact that. We're there. If the dungeon master has you constantly to use the again to use a D and D example, if your game master or DM has got you fighting creatures that are weaker than you, anybody else could fight. You're not doing heroic type thing. You're not going out to stop the dragon. You're not going out to stop an invasion or deal with a political intrigue thing that mortal men and women can't comprehend. Um, you don't have a chance to be heroic. You know, if you're just doing mon- the mundane is the boring bits, the adventure stuff. If it's all about gaining money i went you know, despoiled this pharaoh's ancient tomb so i could get money to get more stuff it's still D. you're still fighting monsters but because there's no altruistic to use that term goal or there's a greater <clears throat> good like you're not stopping an orc invasion or something it feels like that type of an adventure where you just you're going into a tomb because i want fat loot that doesn't feel heroic to me is that what do we think about that i agree <clears throat> well, it may not be, you know, I guess if you put it on the heroic meter, it's probably not, but man, you get some crazies going down there and they never come back and return and you're going to go down there and face whatever it is. I don't know, man. Dungeons are bad news and uh, you got to have, got to have some gumption to go down there and venture into the unknown. Or- well, yeah, I mean, you could be a crazy motherfucker, but you don't necessarily have to be doing it for the right reasons. It feels to me that heroic has to do almost with to use alignment type of thing. You almost have you're doing it for a reason. I'm doing this to stop anyone else from ever oh. dying in this tomb. In that case, I'm yes. doing it to I'm doing it for a reason other than fat loot and a big goddamn sword. And and hero yes, I'm I am confusing courageous with heroism. Yes. Yes you are. Although you can be courageous. That's kind of makes up the property of being a hero. Yeah. It being a hero, it, having courage is a component of hero, heroism. A, a hero. A hero. <laughs> I can't remember what damn movie that's from. Neither do I. Hero. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, I think the, uh, when you're, if you do the, 
that you'll think of reality moment when you consider some of the scenarios that we put players in and then we go through as players. All right, there's the chasm in the hillside and we're going to go in there and it's dark and creepy as hell and we know there's all kinds of evil monsters in there just because. But that Who does that? Of course, no one does. Well, adventures no one, are, no one, adventures no are ever, insane. Ever, ever. <laughs> well, so, adventures are insane. Aside yeah. from Brett. <laughs> Nobody no. really does. No, I would not do that. <laughs> he's he's taken a he says yes to every van invitation. Yes. <laughs> Free candy, fuck I'm in. <laughs> Bring that back here. That's what made Brett <laughs> who he is today. <laughs> many, many horrible, horrible no, I'm kidding. Anyway. Clowns. Off the rails. Know, totally off the rail. So actually another component I've I've had this discussion with my group a couple times and I've said I was running a game. I was running my Avalon world. It's a D and D uh, fantasy world, and it tends to be small stories about a group of thieves that were dealing with a problem. They're trying to help their family out. They're doing something, and then they get embroiled in something. But it tends to be kind of neighborhood based, right? In this massive city of Avalon, it'd be kind of like if you were to take Waterdeep, for example, or Lanakmar, or something like that. And you're dealing in a couple square blocks. Some horrible murder that occurred to someone you cared about. You figure that out bring their individual to justice or whatever <clears throat> through that process. I was saying to my group, I'm like, eh, it just doesn't feel like we're doing like big heroic stuff. And they looked at me like, what do you mean? That wasn't heroic just because it's small. Doesn't mean that it's not heroic just because, you know, we're basically the beat cops that took down the criminal. It doesn't mean that that wasn't necessarily a heroic act and look at what we did and how dangerous it was. And that we did it for this grander reason, other than just fat loot and a big sword. And, um, so I guess what I'm saying is that I I oftentimes, when I think about heroic gaming, I think about the real big stuff. Look, I'm going to get Demon Gorgon kicked off the material plane because holy fucking hell, that's a horrible thing. And I don't think that there's, I guess, hero, heroic can be small is what I'm is trying what I'm trying to get to. Alex, when you run when you run D and D or you playing it, do you tend to do you think heroism tends to be a big save the nation, save the world, or do you think smaller or does it matter to you? Yeah. Well, I think it's some of both. I mean, I think your point's well taken. The, uh, all the, we're just looking at the five E products that have come out. Those are all epic, uh, sweeping heroic stories, you know, thwart Tiamat, um, thwart the princes of elemental evil, um, stop the demons from overrunning the underdark. Um, uh, stop the giants from all running the uh, the north. I mean, uh, so and those they they you can you know at least in our group I can only do those we can only play that kind of game so much because it go you get to the point of being kind of worn out by that same sort of track. Like the nations of the world are relying on these six assholes. You know, it's like again, yeah. Uh, how about how about we just sort out something a little more? You know, uh, <laughs> there's a confidence. Or something. <laughs> so that's the I, so i you know you, i i agree with you completely that heroic doesn't have to be epic and you know massive and you know continent crossing i'll tell you there's uh there's a, i don't know if anybody else has seen have you seen the incredibles the disney pixar movie the incredibles mm-hmm. there's a scene in the very beginning where mr incredible is saying i just saved the world i feel like the maid why won't it just stay saved i just saved it and my group often said that when i was running vampire or even uh big games you're like look i can't yeah, I'm going to be the prince. I'm going to take over the city. Oh, there's a big threat to the whole Camarilla system. Oh, my God, again. And it becomes sometimes really big heroism is just mind-numbing. 
You know, you do it two, three times. Like, look, I saved the world again. Oh, look, another invasion of the crawl, another invasion of this thing, another invasion of that. Fucking hell, how many times do I have to save this place? So I find that the stepping it back to a smaller one is a way to keep the opportunities to be heroic, but then focusing on the small one is kind of, Sean, do uh, your jab at me there with the John Wick thing is that's where, you know, your street level punks dealing with something, then yeah, you don't have a lot of hit points, don't have a big armor class, but you've got to deal with these thugs that are taking over, putting pressure on people and so on. Then that, that can be heroic too, but it's just small enough. You get your dose of heroism, but you don't have to feel like you got to save the whole goddamn city every time. That's the conspiracy in Night's Black Agents, Brett. Yeah, very much like that. If for those very of you that are not familiar with the conspiracy, uh, Mr. Height put it in Night's Black Agents, where it's all kind of conspiracy, and you've got the top person. Maybe it's Dracula. Maybe it's some other badass, big bad Vampire. evil person. Yeah, and then as it goes down, you're going into more like you climb up the the pyramid as you unravel the connections to each component, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. like uh, mobsters. If you have street-level mobsters doing kind of street-level stuff every day, but usually there you, you climb up a few capos and get up to the kingpin, uh, it's a whole nother ball game. Well, that's actually an interesting, that's a good angle too, Sean, because if you start small and the characters really like it, you're playing, to your point, Alex, hey, we're just six assholes trying to figure this out. You start small. They're in a small town. They're in a city. They're working, working, working. And then it's a way to keep pushing. You don't, I guess what I'm saying is that um, that's part of the, part of the climb from a level perspective is you're dealing with the small time stuff. Then you work your way up mm-hmm. even from a heroic perspective, but helping to maintain the heroic piece of it. I think you need to have a goal or a reason other than fat loot and a big sword. You need to have some reason to be, in the dungeon, some reason to be in the sewers trying to find out where the lizard men are coming from. If you're just there because even if the original reason is I'm there because there's a, there's a bounty on lizard man scalps <clears throat> as brutal as that may be. Okay, fine. I'm going to go down there and collect lizard man heads. Then finding out that there's more to it, giving them the opportunity to say, Hey, you could turn this from something other than just a, you know, kill these poor lizard men perspective into something like grander and bolder. Hmm. Okay. For sure, for sure. I mean, well-written and well-conceived uh, adventures, you know, homebrew or published should uh, should uh, inculcate the desire to be heroic. I mean, that should be, that should, that should uh, you know, put, put the characters in a position where they want to do those things. And you can build on lots of small things to do that. But, you know, too often there, there are products you see and you're, you're brought before the king and queen and you're given this mission and it's this, you know, it's like, oh gosh, I mean, uh, it is definitely to sort of, the, the, the it's much more fun to sort of play the reluctant hero or the one who stumbles into something. Um, if that can be written in or you can do that as a DM, that's much more fun when it comes to heroic style gaming, in my opinion. Yeah, instead of waking up as Conan becoming conan or you know hey i just i'm suddenly i'm tannis half elven with my buddies and here we're you know we've got a dragon lance we're gonna save the world having the backstory the to build yourself up to get there can be a lot more fun even if it's not even if it's not like start at level one but just start smaller from a heroic scale and, and i think that's where you know all the 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 core heroic stuff of D that's why so many rpg offshoots uh sort of really remove that element if you look at uh um uh, Gosh, you know, Call of Cthulhu. Really, I guess there there are some games you can be heroic, um, but any of the dystopian games uh, don't 
have, you know, it's more of survival. Yeah, um, true. Uh, wealth acquisition, you know, uh, I think it's kind of a reaction to the core heroism that's implied in, in D&D. That's a good point. Sean, I've not played Apocalypse World itself. Have you ever read Apocalypse World? The original? I haven't read the I haven't read the original, no. I just got the second edition in PDF from the Kickstarter. Okay. Uh, but I haven't no. Well, and it's yeah, I don't know. No. But I could imagine apocalypse setting based games is probably a lot about resources and just trying to freaking survive, you know, and what yeah. does that entail? So I imagine there's bits and pieces of being heroic in those because you're probably confronted with some really shitty situations, but it it's obviously a little bit different um, than your typical D&D game, right? Well, like yeah. Shadowrun. I mean, Shadowrun yeah. is, I wouldn't call that a heroic game necessarily. You can put together a heroic, you probably can have heroic campaigns, but I don't think it's at, at its core assumes heroic players. I think they're mostly are bounty hunters and stuff, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, because yeah, if you're doing a, if you're doing a shadow if you're doing a run, basically Mr. Johnson or Mrs. Johnson contacts you, gets you something to do, yeah. you're off doing something. And then the screw turns, you're like, fuck, they shafted me. I've got to go deal with this problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean you're you may be you still have the opportunity to do something heroic, like look, I'll hold this group of, you know, bad guys off while you guys get in there and take care of Mrs. Johnson and, you know, plant the bomb. I'll die so you can all do that. Or I've had many friends of mine playing Call of Cthulhu when we played. At one point, Zave and I, my buddy Zave and I, had a race to see who could sacrifice ourselves first because our characters both had angles where we could stop the thing by sacrificing our character. <clears throat> so he just he beat me to it and plugged the portal with his own body and therefore you know stopped the problem. You guys should have uh, done it holding hands, and then it would have been just great. <laughs> we we never actually thought of that, and then Lenny is like, "You could have done it together." Like, ah, fuck! I never thought of that. I could have shared the glory. <clears throat> but that is a that's a different that's a dystopian um nihilistic type of world cthulhu right the stars will become right at some point we're all going to die um but doing anything to forestall that the whole delta green concept it's this quiet closeted heroic thing that no one sees which mm. and you may well die doing it but you die knowing that you saved your grandchildren from having to live in a world that had deep ones or whatever the problem is <clears throat> Interesting. Sure. Cool. All right. Well, I think Sean, you, anything no, else, man? No, none. Zero. Zip. Good. Alex, anything else you want to say on this? No, no. That's, that's, uh, I haven't thought about that really. And that, that that's an interesting subject. Cool. All right. Let Shall us know, on? let us know which, how you classify heroism and, uh, maybe we missed an angle, which is hardly impossible, but hardly impossible. <laughs> and I'm sure somebody out there has played a game that Sean and I didn't talk about or Alex and I didn't bring up and, so hit us with a different option, a different angle. I mean, there's like, like Alex said, there's the dystopian concept. There's the apocalypse components, as Sean mentioned. There's lots of different angles to this type of thing. And some people, I think it, they may like hero, heroism on a very small scale versus the grander save the planet scale. So cool. Interesting. Off we go. Let's get into die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery you want to share with you. Brett's got a couple. I got a couple. And we got one from a listener. Brett. So, um, Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. They have a second edition. It is for a gorgeous-looking hardback. I am. Uh, I got. <clears throat> I was at Gary Con this last year, and I was looking at the box set. I flipped it through, and uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I've heard a lot of good things about it. Uh, a couple of our listeners um, pointed it out to me. Uh, Forced to Gary and a few other people. I'm like, oh, I don't know. 
Well, then a while back, Joe Swick was kind enough to gift me with some uh, drive through RPG cash. So I bought the PDFs. I really like it for an old school AD&D, you know, descending armor class type of system. It's a lot of fun. The world is, is a hoot. Um, so I got in on this. But there's, as of today, the October 23rd, there's 28 days left to go in this Kickstarter. Looks like it should be a lot of fun. I gotta, so. I gotta get down with with the differences of these games. Like I, you know, there's, I don't know, and maybe that's just a a feat that just is way too heroic to undergo. <laughs> Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerers is is a lot of uh, it's more setting than it would be system perspective. True. Um, the way Hyperborea is designed as a map. Alex, are you familiar with it? I am. I, I let, you know, I'm not a, far from an expert, but uh, Jeff is a great guy, first of all, and uh, he's a uh, coming to GameholeCon, and uh, there, are, there are a ton of, uh, of astonishing uh, games that are being run, and most of them are full. It was, it's pretty cool, but uh, uh, you're absolutely right. It's it's the Conan setting. Yeah, it's Clark Ashton uh, Smith, Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. And it's 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 a cool setting, and what's, you know, I love setting-based products. I don't need another rule system. I like setting, uh, because then you can pluck interesting things out and dump it into your game or whatever, so I'm, I'm always a big fan of that sort of thing. Yeah, it should be good. So I'm looking forward to that one when it kicks out. So let's see here. It's I believe it's totally backed already. Let me double check. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Crazy. Shit. Yeah, they went. Fi- they wanted 15k. <laughs> he's got almost 42k, and he's got 28 days left to go. So that'll be sweet. I can't wait for that one. All right. So then the next one I had was Hydro Hackers from Encoded Designs. Our buddy Phil Vecchione and over at Misdirected Mark. He's working on this. It's uh, Hydro Hackers Operatives, H2O. It's a game of hydropunk Robin Hoods who steal water from the rich corporations to provide to their neighborhood. Um, it's powered by Apocalypse. Um, they're going to have a Kickstarter, hopefully soon, but I wanted to get the word out here. Chris and Phil have been talking about it periodically. That He has playtested a few times at some conventions, but I wanted to throw a link out there in the show notes to folks. So if nothing else, uh, Phil and Chris and the guys at Encoded, good group of folks, uh, be, uh, be cool to help support these guys. So wanted to throw that out there. Sean, over to you, sir. All combat vehicles of the U.S. military in one giant poster. So if you're running a military campaign, this is a no-brainer resource that you have to have. Modern or? Uh, That is a good question, Brett, and I believe it's modern. I don't think it has, like, Civil War pieces on there. Um, I've got to guess modern as of World War II, maybe? Yeah, it's got, it looks like it's got some Willys Jeeps in there. So, yeah, okay, cool. Wow, that's pretty slick looking. Uh, my second one, Cursed Images, which is a Twitter feed, but the article I found was on in on the New Yorker, um, that led to this site. So, if you want some campaign or um, something specific, is uh, incentive incentive isn't the right word. Inspiration. Why do I? <laughs> I think I did that last time on a different show. I, yeah, you did. That was kind of sad. C- confusing words. Um, but yeah, inspiration, check out cursed images on, on Twitter. And there's a link in the show notes. I think it's just like cursed images, all one word on Twitter, but, um, lots of different pictures. They got well, a shit ton of following a, on there. image. There's like an image of a stretch limo, um, across a muddy ditch. It looks like somebody drove a limo down a gully for right. some reason. Yeah. It's one of those things where if nothing else, you know, from a gamer perspective, having these type of things for handouts and all that good stuff is it, can be fun because sometimes you want to describe something. That's a good way to do it. Cool. All right. And we had one from Azrael Arocha, our uh, listener out there. He pointed us to a really cool adventure generator. 
I don't recall. I went through to see if we had done this before. Fictive, fictive fantasies. Fictive fantasies. Adventure generator by Of The Hill People is out there. Um, it's a random adventure generator. You uh, punch on it, and it will come up with a wonderful little uh, adventure that you can download. So it's kind of fun. It's one of those things where sometimes even if you take it and then you hack it, modify it, um, like I just called one up here. It has like, hey, here's a quest contact. Roll a D12 to find out what that is and so on. Locations, all that good stuff. Sometimes you just need something to get the brain going because you've got an adventure you want to write. You want to do something. The guys are like, hey, we're going to play. And you're like, oh, my God, what do I do? And, oh, my God, the they're coming and she wants a good adventure and he wants this and she wants that. Could be fun. So anyway, want to call out there and thank you, Ezreal, for calling our attention to that, sir. Yeah, I got a couple. Yeah, oh, awesome. get out of here. Yeah, hey, yeah. I, two, two new releases from Gamehole Publishing. Oh, oh sweet. Available at Gamehole Con. First of all, my module that I've written called the uh, the Brain Gorger's Appetite uh, is going to release at Gamehole Con, and Ed Greenwood's new module called A Druid in a Dark Forest will also be releasing at Gamehole Con. Working on getting them in with a distributor, so they'll show up at local game stores, uh, wherever you are. And uh, after the show, we'll work on getting them on the usual uh, outlets, uh, tabletop and uh, one bookshelf and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm pretty excited. I've written uh, several things for different uh, publishers, but this is my first standalone module written under our new little imprint. Um, So I'm excited about it. Is it in a specific world setting, or is it just? It, no, it's our. We're we're building our own slowly, our own world. It's a sort of a a, a very uh, neutral D and D type world. Uh, you know, all that stuff is IP, uh, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to go the DM's guide route because um, I want to be able to write my our own our own things. And when you have people like Ed Greenwood willing to join you in that effort, uh, these all these all take place in the same geography these different these different adventures and uh uh world building is a hell of a lot of fun that's one of my favorite things about writing uh, oh yeah so Absolutely. yeah th- those will both be available at the show and then uh in various outlets thereafter sweet awesome i gotta grab my copies he <laughs> very cool what the, when's when is it when are they going to be available do you know alex yeah well um it depends on when i decide to get some sleep but uh you know i think uh i will be able to get them to the distributor, they'll probably be in, I hope, in stores by late November. And uh, certainly by late November, they should be up on the online sources. I'll get them on Amazon and uh, those outlets, uh, Tabletop again, and uh, one bookshelf. So, yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah, I want to put links in the show notes for that so people can find it and grab it. Excellent. Uh, I want to thanks to Pemberfoot. I imagine we might know who that is, Brett. Sergeant Pemberfoot, you mean? Might be. It just said Pemberfoot for the kind review on iTunes. It's probably Sergeant Pemberfoot, our, uh, I can't our Im- militant hobbit. I can't imagine there's any other Pemberfoot. Nope. That awesome. at least Very knows cool. us. I don't know. <clears throat> Very cool. Thank you for the review, kind sir. Very uh, nice. So GameholeCon, we didn't go into a ton of details, but Alex, but I wanted to cover that because you've been gracious enough to sponsor the show. You've you've you're gonna give us a little spot at the con, and you've been more than gracious in that respect as well. Um, we've obviously pimped the show quite a bit, uh, the con on our show, but as far as gaming, you know, and people have had you, we've had you on the air. You're no stranger to us by any means, which is good, but you know, this is game old con four, five, four, four. 
Now, Just four, yeah. what have you, for those that are completely oblivious, that have no freaking clue what makes Game Hole Con so special, aside from what Brett and I have boasted about since, I don't know, February, March, or whatever it was this year? Um, hmm. Well, I think uh, uh, the what I, if I were to boil it down, uh, um, I think it's the uh, energy of the show. I think it is the level of uh, preparation and detail, uh, and then the type of events and guests that you can play at our show, uh, and the type of people you can meet in a in a still a relatively small show environment, even though we're above, over two thousand attendees. Um, that you just can't get anywhere else. I think that's what, what we have. I mean, we have, quite frankly, the greatest lists of guests in gaming, some of the greatest events. You have things like True Dungeon, which only happens in at Gen Con and our show. And you have it um, twice. What's that? Do you not have two True Dungeon events? Two, two runs, two runs, yeah. They're two separate runs that you can do. <clears throat> um, and and then just all the other great games. Gosh, we have you know guys like you and, and so many others like you who put on these awesome games that are are really amazing. You'd be so fortunate to be able to go into a game store and be able to sit down at a table and be able to jump in a one shot, like the kind of stuff that you guys run and, and so many other people. Um, you know, there are very few shows around the country that can really boast that quality of gaming. Uh, we're fortunate here in the, in the Wisconsin, the Midwest, because we have a lot of good gamers here. And so the, some our local shows tend to have, you know, good gaming, but man, we have got it. I'm just so impressed when I go through our games list and think, God, I'd love to play in most of these games. Uh, so I think that's, that's what, uh, uh, if I had to, you know, I, I don't like to say our show is better than any other show, but what our our show features is really something for everyone uh, from, you know, the family who wants to come in and they want to, their kids want to try a game. We have those kind of games to uh, very experienced gamers who want to play with, you know, Monty Cook or Ed Greenwood or the 5e development team, you know, Merles and Perkins and Crawford, uh, you know, across the board, we've got so much good stuff to do. Uh, and I'm, tremendously proud of it uh and uh it's it's pretty cool and uh the fact that it's only year four <laughs> it's hard to believe it seems like it's been going for a lot longer than that but uh yeah so i hope that answers your question that's a uh, my that's my blathering ramble for you what do you <laughs> No, that's good that's good man what do you think you've learned most because i mean four is four cons is an accomplishment no question and going from like, hey, we're going to put this thing on and here's kind of why we're doing it and how we're going to do it because we want to be this type of gaming convention and then yeah. actually executing it and then going four years down the road and going, or three years after the fact, what what have you learned? What do you think have been some of your aha moments as it relates to the con? Yeah, and I think that... Uh... Uh, Brett is learning these two uh, as you take a, a show and, you know, retooling it and making it something bigger and better. Um, it's how, first of all, how much freaking work there is in it. Uh, just oh. a lot of effort. These things don't happen by accident. Great shows don't happen because they fall together by magic. I mean, it's, it takes a lot of preparation and a, and a collaborative effort with a lot of people. Um, and so, and as far as what I've learned is uh, the important of pro the importance of processes of 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 things that are um, if it's going to be your site or your ticket system or your um, games game submission system that it's scalable. So you're not doing something that's half-assed. Say, oh, well, now we've outgrown this. We have to redo it uh, completely. So to to create something that is that will that will work for your small show, but it'll also if, if you do happen to grow, 
can grow with you um, because then you're reducing some of that work. And we've done a pretty good job of that. There have been a few notable exceptions where we've had to go back and say, all right, start over on this piece of it. That's fine. Um, but that's what I've learned in retrospect. Looking back, I would have done a couple things slightly differently. It, it, from the front end, it doesn't look any different at all. You never would notice. It just made more work for us. Um, Again, that's not a real sexy answer, but that's uh, <laughs> that's it. You know, there's if it's 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 all, but it's also difficult to f- see the future when you're, uh, you know, just a couple of your knucklehead friends deciding to throw a throw a con in a hotel, you know, and uh, and then it explodes. <laughs> well, tell you the cool the cool thing though is that I mentioned this to you and a couple of the other guys, Josh and some of the other crew, and went, guys, just so you know, last year this looks like there's no problems. And I remember you looking at me going, well, there's problems. Said, yeah, but I don't see them, dude. <laughs> I mean, that's. Anything that's happening, it's it's happening behind the scenes, and it's really to have a good team that pulls stuff together and has this good of a front, basically, that says, look, it will be smooth for you. We will take care of this problem. We'll deal with that. We'll deal with this and uh, not have a big housing debacle like, say, Gen Con has every year or, or something along those lines. Being able to have stuff lined up, taken care of, and dealing with things as competently as you guys have been able to do in just four years is frankly amazing. That's really cool. You know, I think one of it, one of the, the 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 threshold or beginning places is a real, and this is going to sound corny as hell, and I apologize, but a real commitment to customer service, to saying, you know, what our attendees are going to have a, a kick-ass time. They, we, our goal is for them to walk away saying that was the best show I've ever been to, for the money and the experience and everything. It was just great. There's just no problem. So if you have that, if that's what your goal is, as opposed to quite frankly, we have a little bit of uh, too cool for school stuff that happens in our world, you know, uh, different stores and different conventions yeah. uh, where that's not exactly the focus of the, of the project. Um, you know, I try to, when people email us, I try to respond to those personally as many as I can, even though I'm busy as hell uh, because I want them to know that they're question or the concern is important and we're going to address it. Um, and uh, I think that's, the biggest reason why we've grown so quickly is that then your attendee comes and they have a great time and they become your best advocate. They say, God, Game Con, despite the weird name, was a great show and it was fun. And I played in the best games and met cool people and the guys were cool. They t- I had this little problem. They sorted it out. Um, you know, if you do, if you do it that, or if you bring that, that focus to it on the front end, uh, good things happen and it's going to be a good show. Because then if you do that, if you have some fuck ups, you know, everyone's going to say, hey, man, these guys at least were doing their best. There's no one who's, no one who's giving me a cold shoulder, shoulder or being a dick about anything. Yeah. Um, so well, Sean and I have got, we got, we got listeners that have, that came last year from Maine. They're coming back. My buddies from my game crew from my hometown of Wausau. It's only a three, it's only two and a half, three hour drive South, but they weren't sure I talked it up and they're back again. They're like, I, I'm going They're you know, mm. for, foregoing other cons to make sure that they can make this one. So I know, I know what you're doing is working because I'm seeing it. In my game, in my very intimate gaming circles, where people, I have to go to this thing because it's that goddamn cool. That's that's great to hear. I really really appreciate that. So, Gamehole Con first weekend of November, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Get your ass to Gamehole Con. Go to gameholecon.com. I don't know if there's much they can do on the website at this point. They kind of got to go there. <laughs> yeah, registration's now closed, but you can look at. There's still the game list. Games list is up, and uh, you show up on Friday morning to register for games. They're all going to be available. You know, you can grab a ticket for lots of good games that are still still uh, still available. Um, and I'm getting a lot of emails about, you know, how uh, 
can I still buy a badge? And all yes, yes, you can buy a badge. You know, we have we we don't we do probably forty percent of our attendees are walk ups. So uh, that's cool. We 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 built our games list with that in mind, so that we can accommodate people that want to come and just show up and and get into something. And uh, we have we have enough openings uh, that we can accommodate a lot more people, which is the goal. And you guys do, and you guys support open gaming too. So if you oh, show yeah. up, Dude, you show up with that, a board game in your bag and you want to play it with somebody, set up, sit, grab that, a table. That pisses me off more than a lot of things when it comes to gaming conventions. Is you have to have good support for open gaming. That's the key. That's the core of a of a convention. I mean, you go, if you go to a good dealer hall and you buy a new game, first thing you want to do is open up and play it. And you can't. What are you going to sit in the hallway? I mean, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, I hate that. And so you know, we the very center of our of our show. The most prime real estate is open gaming, and the whole show is built around it. Um, and that's why we have all the the, uh, the open gaming halls and all the hotels. Every hotel that surrounds the Alliance Energy Center has uh, open gaming twenty four hour conference room, so people can always play and find a space to play. And we've got a big whiteboard that, if you want to bring, you want to play Astonishing uh, uh, or something like that, or whatever game, you can write on there, "Hey, at at X o'clock at X space, I'm looking for four players, and people can come and find you and play your game." Uh, because open gaming is awesome and it should be a central part of any gaming show. There you have it. I don't have anything else. I don't have anything else to say about that. You can't add anything, you can't add anything else to that. Thank you, Alex. Cool. <laughs> I'll share, guys. You guys are too kind and I, again, I appreciate all the support. You guys have been awesome. Alex, no thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. Thanks for coming. Any, any last words for the audience? Nope, nope, nope. Again, just thanks for putting up with me. Ah, anytime, anytime. We hope you're going to, I imagine you're going to get the, I mean, I think we're on the green jacket now. We'll probably have to up it to the red jacket after you're on another four or five times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, Brett, what are we talking about next week? Oh, what the hell are we going to talk about next week? Speaking of uh, speaking of guys that have been around for a we're going to talk about old age and the adventurer. Oh, all right. After we uh, get closer to game hole, we start feeling our aches and pains. We'll talk about that. So, see how it goes. Well, excellent. Well, this has been another episode of Gaming NBS. I am one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming all. Gaming NBS produced with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Steve Day, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Misdirected Mark Productions, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, Old School DM, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason the Beard Blaylock, Remy Billado, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Mirko Freulich, Wayne Lumrunner Humfleet, James Carpio, Not Caprio, Tony Baker, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Eileen Barnes, and Chad Knight. Consider becoming a patron. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the show for an entire month. Whoa.